So if you got your notes, uh, we're here in John chapter 10. Absolutely fascinating uh, chapter. There's a number of things in here that are uh, just really, really fun to look at. Uh, this is this uh, chapter here where he's going to talk a lot about uh, being the good shepherd and uh, just some really fascinating uh, things in here. So in these first, let's cover these first six verses. And once again, I've got it in, on your notes. We're using the, the scriptures version. I hope you're enjoying that as we've been using that lately and that it is uh, proving helpful. Um, Starting with verse 1 in John chapter 10, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter through the door into the sheepfold, but climbs up by another way, that one is a thief and a robber. But he who enters through the door is the shepherd of the sheep. The doorkeeper opens for him, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he has brought out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. And they shall by no means follow a stranger, but shall flee from him because they do not know the voice of strangers." Yeshua used this figure of speech, but they did not know what he had been saying to them. So <clears throat> he's going to continue talking about uh, this parable, if you will, this metaphor of him being the good shepherd and knowing his sheep. Uh, he's going to say that he's the door, but here he's talking about something else. So here's what I want you to envision. <clears throat> Israel is a very rocky area. Uh, there's just rocks everywhere. You know, when Jesus said, when Yeshua said, you know, if I tell them to stop the rock, the stones themselves, the rocks will cry out. Well, he was talking about a gazillion, billion, whatever rocks because they're just everywhere. Uh, and they're piled up everywhere uh, because if you're going to work any part of the property around there, you kind of have to pile them up and move them out of the way. Anybody here ever been to Israel and seen that? Has anybody here ever been to England, Scotland? Uh, it's the same kind of thing over there. There's rocks and stuff everywhere, and um, it, it, it's kind of like that even out in Oregon. You'll see it out at that way. Uh, <clears throat> so they, they will pile these rocks up. So here in this first part of this where it says, uh, the sheepfold. In verse one, it says, he who does not enter through the door into the sheepfold. Here's what you need to kind of comprehend. <clears throat> Keep in mind, this is before the use of barbed wire fencing, field fencing, and all that kind of electric fencing. Uh, it was something called free grazing. That used to even be common in America before the uh, advent, if you will, of barbed wire fencing. People would free graze, and so you would take your herd out, whether it was sheep or cattle or, or whatever, and uh, you would keep a close eye on, on your herd. But when it came to, to sheep, um, they've got a pretty serious um, flight mechanism. Um, and so <clears throat> the shepherds would gather them around uh, at night to watch over them, 
And, and so if you were moving your flock somewhere, sometimes they'd have large, think of it uh, almost like what you see with people dealing with cattle, you know, where they have these big livestock areas or whatever, but these would be made out of stone. They would make fence. They would make a fence uh, out of stone. Uh, four, five, six feet high would pile it up <clears throat> And there'd be one way in, one way out. And sometimes it would even have other rooms inside there. Can you kind of picture that? Uh, <clears throat> and what they would do is, like in other words, if you were moving your sheep cross country, uh, at times they would have these paddocks, if you will. They'd have these large sheep folds, these uh, areas where you could keep your sheep and keep them protected at night in case wolves bears, lions, all that, you know, lions, tigers, and bears, oh my, they would come by and they would attack the sheep. So to keep them from being attacked at night out in an open field and the next morning you're out there going, you know, where are all the sheep? Uh, and it was just a lot easier to keep them safe. <clears throat> you could put them all in there. Well, what are you going to do if two shepherds show up with their sheep? Well, they'd all go in there. No problem. You know why? Because when the shepherd would show up the next, and there would be a guy there designated to keep watch, he would be a watchman, and his job was to watch the door and to watch the sheep so the shepherd could get some sleep because they're trying to move their flock. The shepherd, and they would pay, you know, to keep their flock there that night because it wouldn't be one that they owned. And then the shepherd would show up in the morning, and so he would call his sheep out. And his sheep would respond. It's pretty fascinating. Um, it's, it's really fascinating to watch that in action. Where And there, there's videos out there where you can see where they test it. Uh, where, you know, tours are going around and they'll have people get off the bus and they go out there and they start trying to call the sheep up and the sheep don't even look. They don't even look up. It's just, you know, people talking. And they do that two or three or four times, and, I'll, you know, and then all of a sudden they let the shepherd get up there to the fence. Hey, sheep! And just all the heads perk up. My sheep will do that. It's the funniest thing. Um, of course, as soon as they see me, they're yelling at me because they're like, you know, we want something to eat. You know, feed me. You know, that's what they're, that's what they're saying, you know, nah, which means I want something to eat. But it's pretty interesting. They can be... Uh, they can be out on the back end of our property and I'll yell like that for them and watch the heads pop up and then they all start talking, you know, and then one will make a particular noise. It's really interesting. I can't, I haven't figured this out yet, but one will make a noise. They'll bleat a certain way and all the others look up. They're saying, hey, something's up. Shepherd's out there. Maybe we're going to eat. And then all of a sudden they all start yakking and I'll call one more time and then here they come running. Um, if somebody else gets on our property that they don't know, they'll run from them. They're, they're real nervous. Uh, so what he's saying here, <clears throat> he's saying, look, if anybody comes into this sheepfold through any other way except through the door, that person, that individual is a robber and a thief who has only come to what? We'll see it in a second kill, steal, and destroy. It's 
it's Satan, it's the adversary, it's the devil. And he said, and the, but the doorkeeper is there, he's watching, and he will let the shepherd in. The shepherd will call, and his sheep will come. And why will the sheep come to that particular shepherd? He tells us, right? Because they know his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. Here's something else that I've learned keeping sheep. You try to drive sheep, you really need a dog to do that because there's no way you're going to run fast enough. It's interesting. My sheep teach me new lessons all the time. <laughs> and one, one thing I have found is that it's so much easier. Everybody stays calm. Pretty much nobody's going to get hurt. It's a lot easier to lead them than it is to drive them. You can call them. They're like, okay, he's going to do so. He's leading us a certain way. Uh, and it's just so much easier. And the reason is, is because I'm out there all the time and they know my voice. And they know that, I mean, when I call them a certain way, I'm going to give them something. Or I don't call them like that. Because that, they, they know how to respond. It says here that the sheep will hear his voice and they're going to respond and he calls them and he calls them out by name. <clears throat> um, and it says that they shall by no means follow a stranger but will flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. When I was reading that, I kind of had one of those uh-oh moments. Because why is it that we, can, we so easily get distracted when we're following other voices, when it's obviously a voice we've heard before. It says his sheep don't respond to a stranger's voice because they've never heard that voice. They will respond to his voice and go to him. Sheep. <clears throat> when sheep go astray, they're going towards something they think they understand, but they don't or they've been frightened and they've run off, they can't find their way back. <clears throat> um, we as followers of Christ, we need to make sure that we're really listening to his voice and watch this, <clears throat> that we're feeding that into our brain and into our emotions, into our heart. We're flooding ourselves with the voice of God, with the word of God, so that the other things we're hearing or that come our way it doesn't ring a bell. It doesn't, you know, make us kind of want to go that way. If anything, it'll make us want to go the other way. You following that? So uh, let's jump to verse 7 here. <clears throat> In verse 7, he says, uh, Yeshua says to him again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I'm the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, robbers. But the sheep didn't hear them. I am the door. Whoever enters through me, he shall be saved and shall go in and shall go out and find pasture. He's saying that I'm the door and I'm the way in and out. And when you come out, the shepherd's going to lead you where you will find pasture and food. Not someplace where you're not going to find food. Because watch this, the guy that's not the shepherd, he doesn't really care about the sheep. You know why he doesn't care about the sheep? 
well, he's going to, I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself, but he doesn't, he does, there's nothing invested. He doesn't own them. So he, therefore, he really doesn't care. <clears throat> he said, so that's, that's the thief. And the thief in verse 10, he says, the thief does not, he only comes except to, ki- to steal, to slaughter, and to destroy. I've come that they might have life and have it <clears throat> beyond measure. Or some passages or some versions will say more abundantly. <clears throat> so Yeshua came that we might have life, but that we might have it more abundantly. <clears throat> and he says that a good shepherd is going to lead you towards good food, uh, and he's going to take care of you so that you can prosper. But the thief doesn't. He's only here for one reason. <clears throat> he's only here to satisfy his needs, not the needs of the sheep. A good shepherd's going to be very concerned about his sheep. I don't understand how some people have animals and they just don't take care of them. It's kind of mind-boggling to me. You know, and you see people that maybe they've got a horse or they've got some sheep or whatever, and they're just stuck in this little pen. They'll take a, a round bale of hay out there. They put it out there for the sheep. They don't even take the, the netting off of it. You understand what happens to an animal when he starts eating that stuff? It can literally tangle up in their intestines and kill them from the inside out. And they just let them eat it. I'm like, first of all, why do you have the animal if you're not going to use it? Put it out somewhere. Um, On top of that, it was (laughs) part of God's creation. It's a creature. It does have some feelings. And um, wow, take care of it. Um, here he's saying that <clears throat> the thief comes in. When the thief comes in, he's only got one thing on his mind. He's going to eat the animal one way or another. He's either going to eat it himself or he's going to have it, take it to have it slaughtered just so that he can get the money out of it because that's all he cares about. <coughs> he doesn't really care about the well-being of the animal. In verse 11, he says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. But the hireling, and not being a shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming coming, and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches the sheep and then scatters them. That's why they would come and they'd put them in a sheep fold, right? But there are times when they would be out in the pasture, and that would be very difficult. But, we, but if you owned the sheep and you knew where you were going to be taking them, some things that they would do is they would make their own out in the wilderness. If they were going to go out there, remember uh, David would go out to find his brothers and they had the sheep and they would take them for pasture and stuff. <clears throat> and they would take natural areas in a, on a mountain range or whatever and they would find little uh, coves, if you will, or little holes and little indentions in the property and they would pile up rocks maybe just on two sides, and they would kind of make it work so they could keep a close eye on their sheep at night. My sheep, it's really interesting because on our property, we've got six acres, and uh, we've got a couple of shelters for the sheep to get in when there's bad weather and and this, that, and the other. And I've got some lights on the backside of our, I call it a barn, it's a shop, and, you know, light up the whole area. And one thing I noticed, even in inclement weather, 
There's a couple of times when I had the light on and I left it on for a while because I thought it'd be easier for me to watch the sheep. I'd go back out there and they wouldn't be there. They'd be out in the dark, out in the middle of the field, laying down out in the middle of the field uh, and with blistering winds blowing. And I'm like, the, the shelter I've spent thousands of dollars to build for you and you know, nearly killed myself doing all this stuff and y'all are out there. Like I said, my sheep are always teaching me something. <clears throat> uh, and what I realized was they don't like to be in the light at night because then they become an open target. So they want to be in the dark and out in a field or out where they can see so that they could be protected. Because a shepherd, if he was having to watch his flock at night and he didn't have this sheepfold or whatever, it was his job to make sure that he actually protected the sheep. But a hireling that didn't own the sheep and when a wolf would come, would flee because he's like, well, I'm not dying for these sheep. You know, I'm not going to, you know, risk my life for this dumb animal. It's just a sheep after all. And they would run and the wolf would come and would kill a few. And it was usually, right, a pack of wolves and they would kill them. And then the flock gets what? It gets scattered. They're running everywhere. Well, here's what I want you to see. There's a few verses. You might jot these down. I've got a few references here for you. Because I want you to also think about who were some of the shepherds in Scripture? Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, King David, Moses. Remember after Moses went out into the wilderness in the Midian with his father-in-law Jethro, he was there for 40 years watching sheep before he goes back to Egypt <coughs> to lead us out of Egypt. 40 years watching sheep in the wilderness. You think, uh, you know, I mean, how, how risky can that be? Well, actually, it was extremely dangerous. Watch what it says here, uh, 1 Samuel 17, verses 34 and 35. This can't, it ends up being King David. Uh, this is David talking, and he was a young lad at the time when he would be watching uh, the sheep. In verse 34, it's 1 Samuel 17, 34 and 35. Then David said to Saul, your servant has been tending sheep for his father. And when a lion or bear came and took a lamb out of the flock, I went out after it and smote it and rescued it from its mouth. And when it rose against me, I caught it by its beard and smote it and killed it. <laughs> Later in verse 7 and 37, verse, in verse 37, same chapter, 1 Samuel 17, 37, and David said, Yahovah who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear... He does deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, go, Yehovah be with you. <clears throat> um, listen to what <clears throat> uh, Jacob says here. 
in, uh, in uh, Genesis 31. Genesis 31, verses 38 through 40. He said, these 20 years I've been with you, your ewes and your female goats have not miscarried. They're young, <clears throat> and I have not eaten the rams of your sheep. Look at this. That which was torn by beasts, I did not bring to you. I myself bore the loss of it. You required it from my hand, whether stolen by day or stolen by night. Thus I was. By day the heat consumed me, and the frost by night and my sleep fled from my eyes. Folks, these guys that were shepherds during this day, that was a hard and dangerous job. They had to stay up at night. <clears throat> like I said, my sheep were always teaching me lessons. And the first time we had lambs, I didn't know what I was doing. I still really don't know what I'm doing. But um, it was February a year ago. Bad storm comes through. Our sheep decide, of course, that's when we're going to have lambs, when the storm comes through. It's, it was in the mid-30s, raining, mud, slop. I mean, it was nasty. I just was not ready. I've got one that's trying to have her lambs. And it's in the middle of the night. I'm watching the storms come through. I'm out there trying to help this sheep birth lambs, and I've never done it. I'm thinking I'm fixing to have to pull lambs. I've never done this. It's 5 o'clock in the morning. I'm out there in all my hunting gear because it's so cold. She's stuck up underneath a hay bale ring. She's been out there for a while pushing. I'm, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to hide kind of in the shelter, and I'm looking at the storm, and I'm trying to figure it out on my phone when the, when the bad stuff's going to pass. And, how, and I'm like, and I looked up at God, and I said, so God, is this what it means to be a shepherd? Because I'm scared to death, I'm fixing to kill the lamb and the ewe, and I'm out here freezing in the mud and trying to keep these animals alive, and it's 5 o'clock in the morning, I haven't had any sleep. Wow. Of course, I wasn't fighting lions, tigers, and bears. Can you imagine doing that as a lad out in the wilderness, no lights, you don't have a gazillion watt flashlight that's going to light up the world, you know, uh, no cell phone, none. Of, I mean, you're out there in the dark with your animals trying to take care of them. And these people are saying, and what we're seeing in these passages were these men and young lads like David at times would literally go after the lion or whatever to protect his sheep. I remember one day <clears throat> a dog got on our property, a wild dog, big one. And, uh, you know, I grabbed my gun real quick and I went running out on the property. And uh, I fired off around its direction. I didn't really want to hit it, you know, but I'm thinking, you know, of course, I don't know. And... Uh, and then I was pretty, I was able to figure out, well, this dog is actually loose and I think it's actually scared. So I'm not too worried about it coming after me. But if it does, he's going down. If he goes after my sheep, he's going down. And I'm out there <clears throat> doing this and we finally got the dog off the property. Sonia, help me. We finally got the dog off the property. I was able to shoo it out and, and get it off. 
And I thought, because here's what was going through my mind. It wasn't so much that I just owned the sheep, but it's the investment of time, of raising the animals, because you start thinking, okay, it takes so long for the animal to get to a certain age before it can have babies, lambs. And then those babies have to get to a certain age before they can have any babies, lambs, to build your flock up. And if that gets damaged, you can't replace the time. Now, for some of you young people, that don't matter. But when you're 63, that kind of stuff starts adding up and starts to really matter, right? Think of it, though, and, and I'm not doing this for you know, a livelihood. Uh, we're trying to make a little bit of money out of it. But can you imagine somebody, that's their livelihood. That's what they're going to live off of financially, and it's their freezer meat, if you will. That's what the family's going to live off of. That is their income, retirement, everything. That is their 401k. That is everything. When that's the case, you don't think too much about, I could get bit. That, that stuff doesn't start to, you know, when you're, think, when you're just analyzing paycheck, Hospital bill, I don't think so. You see what I'm saying? It, your motivating factor is a lot deeper. Your foundational issues are a lot wider when you are really, really invested in those animals and in that situation. See what I'm saying? Yeshua here says, I'm the good shepherd and I'm willing to lay down my life for my sheep. The hireling isn't. When he sees the wolf come, he will run and flee. Why? Because he only sees the sheep out of what he can get out of them. He's not really invested. Watch this. Is God invested in his sheep? At first, we kind of think, well, yeah, because he's trying to build his church, blah, blah, blah. Folks, it's so much deeper than that. Why? Because we're imprinted with the very image of God. Yeshua came to restore the relationship with his creation with himself. The wolves are out there trying to stop him from doing that. And he's saying, when the wolf comes around, I'm willing to lay down my life to protect what I came here to restore because I've got eternity invested in this. And watch this, I've got my name, the integrity of my name invested in what happens with my creation. There's a massive difference, massive difference. So for him, it's like, I don't have to really debate if I'm gonna lay down my life for my sheep. The hireling that hates me therefore hates them and hates them because I created them. All he wants to do is to kill them and scatter them. He's not going to lay down his life for them. Therein is where you see the difference. <clears throat> Those false gods would want you to lay down your life for them. All the other ones will want you to lay down your life, your income, your stuff,
for them. And God says, I'm going to lay down my life for you. Which is exactly what he did. Uh, Verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd and I know mine and mine know me. Even as the father knows me, I know the father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Now look at this. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, I have to bring them as well, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one flock, one shepherd. Now, something else I want you to be cognizant of as we continue to read this chapter. He keeps saying that my sheep know my voice. You see, no one comes to the Father unless the Father calls them. We don't come to God because we're so smart and we figured it out. We come because he whistled for us and called us to him. That's why the scripture says you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourself. It is a gift of God lest any man should boast. So it's saying the faith that you and I exercise those of us here, I'm, I'm going to just assume we're all believers in Yeshua. If we have trusted in Yeshua as our, as our Savior, the only reason you were able to do that is because God gave you the faith to exercise. He initiated it. That's why the Scripture says in Romans that while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, God showed us how much He loved us in this. He died for us. While we hated Him, He initiated everything. We didn't get saved because we were so smart. We got saved because God loved us so much. And that should drive us to love him so much more, amen? So what is this idea about, and you know what? I've got sheep of another fold. Why would he say that? Hmm. Well, got a few more passages for you to jot down. Let's start with Isaiah 14, verse 1. Just in case you thought this was just a New Testament thing. Isaiah 14, verse 1. Because Yahovah has compassion on Jacob, Israel, Yaakov, and shall again choose Israel... Jacob, Israel, and give them rest in their own land. Watch this. And the strangers shall join them, and they shall cling to the house of Jacob. We don't have time to chase all of these prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about God bringing, look at this, all of the nations underneath his house. That's been his goal from day one. He chose Israel to be his portion, to bring up, to be a light to the nations, to bring all of mankind back underneath his reign and rule. They are still his chosen people for that purpose. <clears throat> and he says it's because, and all this is happening. Why? Because he has compassion. <clears throat> he has compassion on Jacob. 
and, and is going to again choose Israel, and that through this process, he's going to cause all the nations to cling to Israel, to God's people, and call upon him. Listen to this now. We've got a couple more. I want you to jot this down. Ephesians chapter 2. This is a little bit lengthy, but it's Ephesians 2. It's verses 11 through 22. This is so you can go back and look at this yourself later. <clears throat> now, this is absolutely amazing. Paul is writing to the believers in Ephesus. <clears throat> and this is what he says to them. He says, therefore, remember that you once Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called circumcision made in the flesh by hands. He's saying basically the Jewish people that are circumcised in the hand, they're calling you guys Gentiles. <coughs> and that's what you used to be is what he's saying, which is interesting. That at that time you were without the Messiah, excluded from the citizenship of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise having no expectation and without Elohim, without God in the world. But now in Messiah Yeshua, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of the Messiah, for he is our peace, who has made both one. Those, in other words, those that used to be called Gentile are now one with God's people Israel and having broken down the, barrier, the partition of barrier, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, the Torah of the commands in dogma. Folks, it's uh, these man-made rules. <coughs> uh, so as to create in himself one renewed man from the two, thus making peace, and to completely restore to favor both of them unto Elohim in one body through the stake, or through one body through the cross, having destroyed the enmity by it. And having come, he brought as good news peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. So again, he keeps talking about both Jewish and Gentile. He's bringing both together and was able to do that, how? Through the cross, <clears throat> Because through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So then, you are no longer strangers and foreigners. Once that happens, you're no longer strangers and foreigners. But fellow citizens with the set-apart ones and members of the household of God, of Elohim having been built upon the foundation of the emissaries and prophets, the, the prophets and apostles, uh, Yeshua himself being the chief cornerstone in whom all the building being joined together grows into a set-apart or holy dwelling place in Yehovah, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. So right here he's trying to tell them, look, you guys... <clears throat> that once were far off, you've now been brought near and now we're all one. One what? God's people. 
There's only two types of people on the face of this earth. God's people and Gentile. Those are the only two people groups. You could use the word nations. You're either of the nations or you've been grafted into God's inheritance, God's people. There's only two groups. You can use the word Gentile. You could use the word heathen. You can use the word pagan. Use whatever word you want. But everybody else is grouped as the people of the world, the people of the nations, Gentile. That means outside of God's fellowship. When we accept Yeshua as our Savior, he grafts us into his people. That's why it says we're now no longer strangers or foreigners. You didn't know that, did you? Maybe you didn't. Maybe you did. You basically become Hebrew when you become a believer in Yeshua. You know what Hebrew means? Crossed over. You ebared, hebrewed, crossed over. We crossed over from our former way of life into a new way of life with God because of what Yeshua did for us. And on top of that, Paul even tells us in Romans 11, we've been grafted into Israel. He's not through with them. Doesn't mean you're quote unquote Jewish. That's a whole nother story, okay? Um, People get hung up on that. Um, But what I want you to see is that God's not doing two different things with two different people. He's got one group, but he's using the nation of Israel to also prove a point, whether they're saved or not. Are you following me on that? That's a prophetic thing that he said he would do with the nation of Israel. And that's what he's doing to this very day. Uh, Did you hear that uh, the deal of a century, the final, if you will, peace plan is supposed to be unveiled in June? We'll see what happens with that one. Uh, But I don't know if you know this or not, but evidently Trump has managed to get Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, uh, Egypt, uh, and a few other Arab countries involved, and they're all going to pump billions into this Uh, plan to make this work. We know that there's got to be something happen, right? And they're going to rebuild the temple. Of course, everybody pitches a fit because they think, you know, it's got to be done a certain way. Uh, If God can use Cyrus, if God can use Nebuchadnezzar, and by the way, he is not bothering me. That's just the sound of life right there. So you do not worry about that. Uh, If he can use Cyrus, if he can use Nebuchadnezzar, if he can say Pharaoh was his servant, he can use anybody. He's going to use anybody to do what he wants to do because he's doing something on a global scale. So just in case you think somebody's got to be a perfect saint and and he can't use a heathen country to do his will, well, then you need to just read your Bible again because he's done it from the very beginning. There's something else I want you to see again in Ephesians. So jot this one down. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 6. This is where he says that the Gentiles were to be co-heirs united in the same body and partakers together in the promise in Messiah through the good news. Isn't that cool? Yes. But here's something fascinating. Paul is writing to who? 
We're gonna read our Bible in, we're gonna read it in context. So Paul is talking to whom here? Talking to the Ephesians and calling them Gentile. He makes a statement here, and I've even read over this a, a gazillion times. I'm reading this and I went, what, what, what? What what did he just say? I want to read this again. I want to read this slow. This is to the that the Gentiles were to be co-heirs, united in the same body, and partakers together in the promise in Messiah through the good news. There's three separate things here. We, these Gentiles are to be co-heirs and united in this same u- union body, which I've already been talking about. <clears throat> this is, and that they are to be partakers in the promise. What promise? Now, these Ephesians, I believe, knew what he was talking about. He doesn't explain it. He says, the the Gentile world is supposed to be co-heirs, grafted in, all these other things that Paul talks about in his letters. And here he says, and we're to be co-heirs uh, we're to be what? Yeah, co-heirs united in the same body, and that we're also going to be partakers together in this promise. What was the promise that was given to Israel that they were all looking for? They still are looking for it. Your really orthodox Jews say that Yeshua can't be the Messiah because something they say hasn't happened. Well, it hasn't physically happened yet, but it's been unfolding now for 2,000 years. The restoration of all things unto the people of Israel, where it talks about their swords are going to be beat into plowshares, the house of Israel and the house of Judah, the two sticks will be united, that's prophesied in Ezekiel and Jeremiah and all these other places all throughout the Old Testament, and that the promise was that It's called the restoration of all things. Folks, everybody knew this that had any kind of Hebraic background. They knew that that was the issue. So much so, and we'll get to it later, but after the resurrection, after Jesus shows himself to all the apostles, right before he ascends into heaven, right before he leaves, the apostles go, is, is now the time when you're going to restore the kingdom? I mean, this is it, right? I mean, what else were they supposed to expect? Because that, that's the culmination. World peace, no more war. The truth is and the law is going to go out from Zion. God's going to rule and reign physically in Jerusalem and everybody's going to come and worship him and everything. We call that what? The millennial kingdom. Okay? 
That's what they're looking for. And right here he says, these Gentiles are going to be partakers in the promise. Folks, the promise is the restoration of all things. How are we going to be partakers in the promise? Well, we're going to be partakers in the promise because of the Messiah. And the way that all happens is when we hear the good news that the Messiah came to die to deal with the, the divorce decree so that we could get remarried to the creator and he could restore all things and we're going to participate in that promise. Isn't that cool? But if you don't understand those concepts from the Old Testament, you're going to read this and go, well, we get to be partakers in the promise. Promise what? That a Messiah is going to come and save the world. Right here, he lists, he lists it out. There's three different, three different issues here that he brings up. <clears throat> that we're going to be partakers in the promise. That's going to happen in the Messiah through the good news. And the promise that they were all looking for back then and they are still looking for today is the restoration of all things, which we know is still yet to fully happen in what we call the greater exodus. But isn't that cool how when you see that, when you understand these Old Testament principles and you see something like it, oh, well, then that's what he's talking about. But if you don't understand that, you read over and go, oh, well, he's just talking about a promise of a Messiah coming. Now watch this. Why would he say that to these Gentiles and then not explain it? Assuming that they would know what he was talking about. It is my theory. Did y'all hear me? It's my theory, my opinion. But I think it's got some weight to it. Everywhere Paul went and preached to the, to the churches, the Gentiles, were where the lost 10 tribes of Israel were scattered and by this time had been there nearly a thousand years, but they knew they were Hebrew, but they had been there so long, they were now Texan. I'm from Scotland, but I'm Texan, y'all. They had been there so long, they were called Gentiles. The rabbis even talk about it when they were scared about Yeshua, and they said, where's he going to go? Is he going to go out among the dispersion and te teach the Greeks? They were, remember we talked about that? Where's he going to, he's going to go out, he's going to go out there and teach the, these, man, they're just Gentiles. They're not even part of us anymore. Why would he say that? Because they knew, they had a history, they knew. He's telling them, he says, you can now be partakers. Watch this. You used to even think of yourself as a Gentile. You gave up on who you are. But now because of the Messiah, you can understand something. You can stop calling yourself a Gentile. The more I'm reading this, and it's been what, five years now, I guess, since this has really come to light for me. I hear people say stuff, well, what'd you do? Did you go Jewish? I had somebody ask me that recently. Oh, are, are you Jewish? And I went, well, I, I paused. I said, well, that's kind of a loaded question. 
because uh, we we are Hebrew if we're following the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, yeah, you think you know what you just said, but you don't. Uh, <clears throat> is it not true, and maybe even for most of us, even in this room, still kind of think of ourselves as Gentile? It's kind of hard to reprogram your brain when you've heard this for so long. Well, you know, you're not Jewish. Well, I might not be from the tribe of Judah, by the way, which is where that comes from. Uh, But if I've been grafted in, I am Hebrew. Because I'm either Hebrew or I'm Gentile, and if I'm Gentile, that means I'm outside the family of God. So I can't be, you, you can't be a Gentile believer. Isn't that weird? That's a, it's actually a the, theological impossibility. You can't be still a Gentile and be in God's family. You can't be an alien and a co-heir also. You can't be a pagan believer. You can't be both. You're either in his family or you're not, period. And I found it really fascinating when I was like, that's exactly what he's talking about and what, and what is the good news? We constantly think that the good news is that a savior's gonna come and he's gonna save the world. To a Jew, they understood that a Messiah is going to come and bring salvation to the world through the restoration of all things. (laughs) That was the good news. And folks, listen to this. This is why when Yeshua came, he came and preached what? Behold, the kingdom of God has come. It's here. That's why he was saying that. I've come to establish and make a point. When this is all done, it's going to be nailed down. My kingdom is reigning and ruling. It's been held kind of secret because I didn't tip my hand to my enemy. I'm in total control, and I'm going to bring all the nations back underneath my reign and rule that Satan hates. I think it's powerful. I think it's really cool. And that's why, that's why Yeshua says, I've got other sheep that are not of this fold that I need to bring in here. But watch what he's, they're my sheep. He didn't say, I need to go find some more sheep. Did you notice that? He didn't say, you know what? There's some wild stallions out there I need to go get and I need to convert them. He didn't say that, did he? This is ownership, present tense. I have, and there are other sheep that I have which are not of this fold, and I have to bring them as well. I have to. Why would he say I have to? Because his name is hanging in the balance. The integrity of his name is hanging in the balance of him accomplishing this. He's like, that's why he also says, nothing is gonna cause them to slip out of my hands. Every single one that the Father has given me, I'm gonna be able to take it home safe, take him home safely. But that's, that's powerful. That's some really great news. <clears throat> 
And he goes, and they're going to hear my voice. And there's going to be what? One flock. Not two. Not three. Not half a dozen. One flock. Not this thing of the church and Israel or whatever or Jew and Gentile. Folks, there again, it's why you can't be a Gentile believer. It doesn't work. There's one, sh one shepherd, one flock, one fold, and it's, there's one God, and we serve him. <clears throat> Look at verse 17. It says, because of this, the Father loves me, and I lay down my life. He's, he's going to say this now three times in these two verses. He's going to say, I lay down my life. Obviously, we're not going to finish all 42 verses. <laughs> uh, verse 17 says, Because of this, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to receive it again. No one takes it from me. So then did the Jew kill, the, did the Jew kill Jesus? They're not the Christ killers, right? So he, did, he laid down his own life. He goes, no, nobody takes it from me. I lay it, and he's going to say it again, verse 18. I lay it down of myself. And he's going to say it again. I have authority to lay it down. And I have authority to, to receive it again. This command I have received from my Father. Wow. It's more than him saying, I've got the power to do this. He says, I've got the authority to do it. And watch this. And this authority that I have was a command that came from the Father himself, meaning that nothing will stop it. No power, no time, no judgment. And he's saying, I'm going to lay down my life and I have the power to receive it again. Here's what's weird. We buried my cousin yesterday, Kurt. He's been in our fellowship. Stood right here singing the ironic blessing numerous times, numerous times. But we didn't bury him, we buried his shell. You ever notice how you, we say, my hair, my hand, my skin, my, my nose, my eyes, right? But that is not you. It's kind of like something you own. It's something that you are clothed in. It's not the essence of you or who you are. It's, it's, it's your clothing, if you will. It's your, it's your physical clothing that's co clothing your, your essence of who you are, which is why it's easy for Yeshua to say, listen, <clears throat> I'm going to lay down my life this. But when that happens, it doesn't mean I don't exist anymore. And because I can lay it down, I also have the authority to pick it back up. And I will raise up this. We don't really comprehend that when we say, at the end of time, there's going to be a resurrection and you and I will be given a new body. It's not going to be ghostly. 
we will receive new bodies and we're going to run around on a new earth in a new creation. It's going to be like the Garden of Eden on the whole globe. Now that's cool, right? And we'll be interacting with God and the angelic realm. We will see it. Nothing will be shaded anymore. We'll understand it. Uh, Angels will be running around. We'll see them like we're seeing each other. How cool is that going to be? Amen? (laughs) Yeshua goes, man, I have the authority to lay it down. I have the authority to take it up. And why? Because this was a commandment from my father. And then look at this in verse 19. It says, and again, a division among the Yehudim, the Jews there, uh, because of these words. And they said, this guy's nuts. He's got a demon in him. This guy's lost his mind. And they go, why do you listen to him? And the other says, these are not the words of one possessed by a demon. Is, watch this. Is a demon able to open the eyes of the blind? They're going back to the things that he did and going, okay, we need to make this connection because the things that he did were signs of proof that he is who he says he is. Verse 22. <clears throat> At that time, Hanukkah came to be in Jerusalem, and it was winter. Did you know that this is the only place you're going to find Hanukkah in your Bible? It's in the New Testament. It's not in the Old Testament. And Jesus was there celebrating Hanukkah. You ever wondered if you should maybe celebrate Hanukkah? Well, Jesus did. Um, I don't think it would be a problem if you did. I think it's kind of fun. It says Yeshua was walking walking in the set-apart place, the holy place, uh, in the porch of Solomon, basically. And the uh, Yehudim surrounded him and said to him, how long are you going to keep us in suspense? If you really are the Messiah, tell, tell us plainly. <laughs> Asking him again, just spit it out. He has been. Yes, in verse 25, Yeshua answered him, I've told you, and you don't believe. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness concerning me. The miracles that Jesus did were witnesses of the fact that he is who he said he is. <clears throat> Folks, this is another reason why don't put so much, don't put a whole lot of stock when you see people doing quote-unquote miracles. Um, did, you know the, did you know that Satan can make you wealthy? He can make you sick. He can also make you well. Study the book of Job. Uh, he can give you an awesome job. He can make you famous. Um, he can do all kinds of parlor tricks. So the miracles that happen, and that there should be signs that point to the fact that Yeshua really is the King of kings, God of all gods. If it's shining any kind of light on a particular individual, I would tell you, Run. Fast. I'll, I'll leave that one there. He says in verse 25, I've told you and you don't believe me. The works I do in my Father's name, they bear witness to me. Then look what he says in verse 26. You don't believe me because you are not of my sheep. See, ownership, 
As I said to you, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them everlasting life and they shall by no means perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. The sheer fact that God has given sheep, us, to the Son, and that He's going to bring us into His kingdom. Here again, you're seeing this. If you've read my book, you're seeing this again now right here. The, the focal point is, is Yahovah the God of all gods or not? That is the issue from start to finish. And right here, Yeshua is saying, my father that gave these sheep to me, now he's declaring that God is echad. He's one. He's the one and only God above all gods. He just declared it. My father is above all, above all others. And no one is able to snatch them out of what? My father's hand. It's all linked to the Father and the integrity of his name and proving that he's the God of all gods. And then he goes, and I and the Father are one. Unity. We'll get to it later in John 17, where he says, Father, my prayer is that you would make them, us, one in the same way that you and I are one. Why? in order that the world will know that you sent me. Once again, it's still going back to this issue of proving that Yeshua is the Messiah, the Son of God, came in the flesh, died on the cross for our sins, brought us all into his kingdom to do what? To prove to all the nations, all of the created realm, both seen and unseen, that he is the one true God. And, the, the, and the, the part about this that's absolutely fascinating is so hard to wrap our brain around. We're not pawns in this game. We are the central figure in it. And he wants you to act like it now and live like it now, proving to all the nations and all these fallen demons God is God, and you ain't. Can I say that, Texan? That is why everything we do, whether in word or deed, we're to do it what? All to the glory of Yahovah, our Elohim, God of all gods. That's why we are his ambassadors. We are his warriors. We are reflections of his very image on this earth now, not waiting for later, now. If you're still breathing, I don't care how old you are or how young you are, you're an agent of the Most High King. That's awesome. And watch this, and it's never too late. Most of the time, God is either using children or elderly people. It's what you're going to find in the Bible. Did you ever see that? 
You know, Moses, you know how old Moses was when he came back to take him out of, out of Egypt? He was 80. He'd been in the wilderness for another 40 years. You think, well, I'm retired. I mean, that's a young man's game. Let them do that. Bull. Sometimes young people, y'all, you know, we just, and I did, you know, you got more zeal and hormones than brains and maturity. It's just kind of the way it works. And sometimes you just got to go through enough life where you go, you know, none of that stuff matters. Isn't it, those of you, isn't it great being a grandparent? Right? We were talking about that. We were texting Matt back and forth last night. Talking about, man, we just love our grandkids. Something different about being a grandparent. I think part of it is you kind of get to be a parent again without all the fear because you don't know what's coming and some, you don't have as much of the pressure because you can spoil them and send them home. And you, can, and you also kind of know what's coming and you wish you could fix it for the parents, but you can't because you got to live it, right? You, you can't explain it. It's kind of like when you had kids, did your life change when that baby showed up? Did your perspective on the world change when all of a sudden, I mean, you got one here. When, when the baby shows up, you're like, the world looks different, doesn't it? It's the same shift when you have grandkids. It's just, it's just such a blessing. And it doesn't matter if they're, if they're that young or, or, or even much older. And there's no way to be able to see it until you get there. You should never think... <clears throat> that you're too old for God to use you in powerful ways. Powerful ways. Never think that. So he says, I and the Father are one, and they picked up stones to stone him. And he goes, and what good works are you going to stone me that I've shown you from my Father? Because which, which of these works are you going to stone me? And they said, we're not going to stone you because of any good work you did. We're going to stone you because you blasphemed me. Now watch this. So many people say that Jesus never declared to be God. Then why were they always trying to stone him? They, it says it right here. They understood what he was saying because when he kept saying, I came from the Father, all this is from the Father, it's from God. I and the Father are one. He's told them that he's the Messiah. He's been saying this stuff over and over and over. And they're saying, you're making yourself out as a man to literally be the same as God, Elohim. This is where he says, well, he kind of turns it on. He says, well, you know, in your own Torah, it says that you are gods. Uh, and then he says this. I'm going to close with this. I'm just going to close it a little bit short. And he goes, if he called them Elohim, God, people, to whom the word of Elohim came, to the word, the God, the word of God came, and then look at this, what he says, and it is impossible for the scripture to be broken. Pause intended. Is Yeshua God in the flesh? Can he be wrong? Would he mislead us? Lie to us? Can he, could he be maybe confused? What was it? What does he say here about the scriptures? It's a powerful word here. What does he say? 
impossible for the scriptures to be broken. Impossible. Folks, that is why we need to read our Bible for what it says and stop listening to what people tell you it says. Because they're going to tell you, that's really not what it means. (laughs) And then look at this. This is why prophecy is so important and why Yeshua fulfilled it, proving that he really is the Christ, that he came here to die for me and you so that we could have an abundant life. He wants to keep us in the sheepfold, protected from the wolves, but then when day shows up, he calls us, we hear his voice. Why? Because we're his sheep. But guess what? Some sheep won't go. Why? Because they're listening to other voices and they're not his sheep. So he calls us out for what? To go to green pastures, lead us beside still waters. Psalm 23 about the shepherd. He's going to anoint my head with oil. You know, shepherds will do that for the sheep to protect their heads from biting flies. He anoints my head with oil, will lead me beside what? Still waters. Why would a sheep not want to be by rushing water? Fall in that with a lot of wool and find out what happens. So they're not going to get close. So where does God take us? He takes us by still, calm waters so that we can drink without fear of death. He's going to constantly take care of us. All of these prophecies are so important. He says, it is impossible for the scriptures to be broken. Impossible. So when Yeshua said it, he meant it. When God said it, he meant it. And he said he's coming back. And he said he's going to bring us all out. And we've been over this a million times, but it's a simple story. He's going to bring us out from the nations where he scattered us. He's going to take us out there, out somewhere. There's going to be another exodus that's going to happen. And it's going to pale the one we just celebrated to where we won't remember it anymore. That's the one that's coming. He prophesied it's going to come. And then people will tell us, yeah, that happened uh, in the 500 BC, you know, when they came back from Babylon. So it, it already happened. And I'm like, really? It's amazing how we will literally do mental gymnastics, hermeneutical gymnastics to try to make things work so that we can stay calm and relax because there's no way we want somebody to call us Jewish. Why would we, why would we be afraid of that? I'm going to tell you why. Because Satan hates the Jew. And he puts that little thought in your head through the news and everything else we've heard for now, 1,700 to 2,000 years, those dadgum Jews again. And that's why anti-Semitism is growing in our, in our country today, and you're not going to believe it, but also in Protestant churches, even Messianic communities. It's happening. It's happening. Why? 
I just, I just told you why. Yeshua said it. I didn't. This, it's impossible for the scriptures to be broken. So what could be the outcome if it doesn't happen the way God said? Satan wins. Satan wins. And then he can say, you can't send me to hell because you're not all that. And that's why they want to obliterate the Jew. And that's why the Antichrist is going to come and try to obliterate the Jew. And he's going to try to obliterate the saints, as it says in Revelation, those that hold to the testimony of Yeshua and keep the commandments of God. So people like us will become a big target. Be a Christian, it won't be no big deal. But it won't be a big deal. But if you actually believe and want to follow what the Bible actually says, it's going to be a big deal. Uh, and the attacks are going to continue to come, <clears throat> and they're going to increase, and it will get intense. Um, but I'm going to follow what the Word of God says, amen? And so then he tells him, you know, it says, you know, uh, you're going to attack me, you know, because uh, I'm, I'm, the, I'm the Son of God. And then he goes, and if I do the works of my Father, then don't believe, in, you know, don't believe me, but believe the works that I'm doing. Because if I'm not doing those works, then you don't have to believe me. If you don't believe what I'm saying, it's like he's saying, okay, let's just, let's, if you don't want to believe what I'm saying, that's fine. But look what I've been doing. Because they're testifying of, of who I am. And it's not the, that's why it's important to understand the miracles that he was doing were miracles that only God could do. So to heal a man born blind is huge. Heal a man born lame was huge. Heal a man who was both mute, dumb, couldn't speak, and blind. So he couldn't even tell you what the demons were that were causing the problems. He's doing so many things that only God could do when he would literally create eyes for a man where he could see. Only God can do those things. So he's like, okay, so if you don't want to believe what I'm saying, look at the testament, look at what I've been doing because they bear witness of who I am and at least believe that. No. Why? Because they're not his, those were not his sheep. And here's what we have to admit. We'll run into that even today. And here's the scariest part and the hardest part for me as a minister. These people are religious people. We're not talking about um, agnostics, atheists. We're talking about people that say they believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that are fighting the son of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And that is exactly what will be happening when the new peace treaty is signed and the temple is built and they start the sacrifices and it will hit the fan and, and Christians will pitch a bloody fit uh, because they don't understand their Bible and it's gonna, they're, they're going to be thinking, if I'm still on the earth and all this is happening, then the rapture hasn't happened yet, therefore that can't be of God. Therefore I'm going to fight against it because the rapture hadn't happened. Not realizing that they were lied to about the rapture. 
So they'll find themselves in the tribulation period and won't realize it. That's why even Jesus said, look, it's going to be just like during the days of Noah. People are going to be marrying and burying and, and, and living and buying houses and such, and then destruction comes upon them suddenly. Going to be, they're going to be in the tribulation period and not even realize it. It will have already started and won't realize it. Except I believe we will. Because we're really studying what the Word of God says and trying to understand it for what it says instead of what people have told us. Here's the bottom line. God loves you so much he sent his son to die for you. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. You know what else a shepherd would do out in the, out in the field when they had their own sheepfold? When they didn't have a hired watchman? The shepherd would sleep and stay in the door. to not let any wolves or anything in or out. He would stay there. That's why we, he said frost and night and wolves and stuff literally stole his sleep because he would stay up at night watching the flock and many times in a shelter that they had built with just stone walls that they had piled up and leave one way in and one way out, and the shepherd would stay there because that was the only way in and out. That's why Jesus says, I'm the door. So if you want to come in, you got to come in by me. And if you're going to come out into life with me, you got to come out through me because he's the good shepherd that literally lays down his life.